0: I'm Rasmus Schuller and you're listening to the Sound of Loon's podcast.
1: Or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm here with Cal Williams. Cal, Minnesota United is not only in the playoffs, but hosting the Los Angeles Galaxy in the first ever home playoff game at Allianz Field. Uh, I There's some housekeeping we're doing right now. That game is on Sunday, October 20th at 7.30 p.m. And tickets will go on sale to the general public at 2 p.m. on Friday, October 11th. That's this Friday. But, man, I would not bet on many tickets being available by that point. <laughs> Season ticket members are going to have access to a presale on Thursday, October 10th at 10 a.m. That's the first one. And then members of the Preserve, which is the official Allianz Field waiting list, get access to our presale that same Thursday at 2 p.m. this Thursday. And then people who subscribe to MNUFC newsletters will get access to our presale on Friday at 10 a.m. before the general on sale at 2 p.m. So, that's a lot of information. I hope you, uh, you were taking notes. Uh, so, the good news is you can still become a member of the Preserve by visiting mnufc.com preserve, uh, or you can sign up for the newsletters, which is free, at mnufc.com newsletter. Okay, now that housekeeping is out of the way, I just want to make sure everybody knows what's going on with the future, because we get so used to this. We have a schedule. We know the last game we're going to play, you know, at the start of the season. Now this is a, this is a new game. We didn't know about this game. But let's look back at Seattle, first as a place, secondly as a game. Um, your feelings about Seattle qua city to visit uh, as a human person. One of my favorite
0: Major League Soccer cities to visit. It's a splendid place. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. It's very reminiscent of England with the weather, so it makes me feel quite
1: sure. homely. Yes, um, but it was gorgeous while we were there, wasn't it? It and was really, really nice. I guess it was Seattle-ish here while we were away. It was sort of cloudy oh, really? and rainy, I believe. So oh, well, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was clear. It was clear <laughs> sailing. I made that joke for a, co- a couple people, saying this is how it always is, right? So
0: <laughs> it was um, Seattle. Was great. Um, the the city itself offers an array of, of different things to do. Uh, not that we have much time to, to do much of it, but it was um, it was great. I always enjoy going to Seattle. And um, the one thing I will say is is for our broadcast, I have to say a big thank you to the Sounders organization who um, made a lot of things possible for us, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, uh, broadcasting on, on field side and whatnot and doing the pregame show where we did and making sure that we, myself and Kendra, got up to the booth um, in, in a timely manner and, and all this kind of stuff that they didn't really have to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a big thank you to the Sounders who, uh, again, um, for me, r- remain towards the peak of, of MLS in terms of the quality of a football club.
1: Yeah. I uh, I really like Seattle as a place. Um, I, coffee is very important there. Yes. Uh, which I really respect. Uh, I really like pine trees. Uh, I also like airplanes. And I like colors blue and green, two of my favorite colors. Green being my favorite. Uh, I very... I very nearly moved to Seattle instead of moving to the Twin Cities back 15 years ago at this point. Um, so I sort of guess there's some possible universe in which I'm living in Seattle. I could be working for the Sounders. I don't know how. I, huh. Since I came through the NBA, I don't really know how that would work since the Sonics left town. But, it could be in Oklahoma um, City right now. Right. Oh. <laughs> no offense to Oklahoma City, but that sounds terrible. Um, so it's it's funny because I was thinking about it as I was there and you know when you talk to people and you're like so where have you lived you know and they talk about their time in different places and I think about I lived I lived for a year in New York City and I feel like although I didn't really like New York overall and want to stay there it still informed a lot of who I am in some ways like that year was significant um in some ways I feel like Almost moving to Seattle is more significant than living in Connecticut for two years, which is Connecticut's terrible. So um, the, the the sense that that was what I was considering, I sort of whenever I go to Seattle, I'm kind of like, I, could, I can still see myself, Portland or Seattle, someplace like that. The Pacific Northwest really agrees with me. Um, so I, I had a little time. Uh, I came in with the team uh, and I. Uh, I was going to. I was planning to go to training, uh, but then it was a little crowded, and I was like, "I'm." I, I had set up some interviews with players after training. And I was like, "I don't really need to go to the actual training." So instead, I hung out, which was nice. I went to the Pike Place Market, which I know is a tourist trap at this point, but uh, it's still really fun. The produce is incredible in the Pacific Northwest—just uh, vegetables and mushrooms and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, I went to the Museum of Pop Culture, uh, which is near the Space Needle. And went to the Pearl Jam exhibit, which was a real sort of, you know, mecca moment for me as someone who Pearl Jam was very significant for me because it's sort of that was the first stuff I learned on guitar back in the day. Um, And it was crazy. It's funny to see some of that stuff that is like a physical object, Uh, not even just the Pearl Jam stuff. But I was I was struck by there was a a Jimi Hendrix exhibit and there's, you know, a guitar in a glass case, like a white Stratocaster. And it's like uh, Jimi Hendrix played this guitar at Woodstock. Hmm. Like this is what he played the the Star Spangled Banner on, and I'm a guitarist, and I have guitars, and they have associations for me. And I look at my guitars, and I, I I see dings where this guitar fell, or I know why this little chip is out of it, or it's discolored this way, or things like that. It has a sort of wear to it. Seeing the physical objects that people like Jimi Hendrix or or you know other musicians like that, like this is what they worked on. It, it was kind of it was kind of oddly resonant for me. I really I really enjoyed it. So I re- I heartily recommend the Museum of Pop Culture to anybody. Hmm. Okay, well, next time
0: I go to Seattle, if we have time. It's a short walk. Um,
1: It's just, you follow the monorail. Like, if you walk, we were near, we were on Pine Street. You walk up Pine Street, there's a monorail. You just follow it all the way to the end. So, um, had some good food. I went to Chan, uh, a Korean restaurant that uh, jerky recommended. Mm -hmm. And if he finally came through, that Portland steak didn't really land. So uh, it was terrific. We went out with uh, Ian Fuller, uh, assistant coach Ian Fuller, which is I wanted to uh, bring this up uh, as a soccer talking point. Um, And I brought this up. If you listen to I did um, a couple of interviews with Ethan Finlay and Michael Boxall and Vito Monone. And I think I I mentioned this to some of those guys. um, If you if you listen to that um, podcast but um, Ian brought up something that I found really interesting that I had not really considered. It was sort of a holistic way of thinking about the season that I had not fully considered, which was that um, he was saying he felt that a, r- a real key component of, of how the team has felt and how the season has felt has come from the young guys, um, you know, Chase Gasper, Hassani Dotson, Mason toy, um, sort of stepping up in this moment alongside the veterans that you bring on like Aiko Parra and Ozzie Alonzo and Vito Manone, like, them having good seasons as vets leading the team and sort of setting the tone coupled with the young guys coming in and learning how to do it. And then stepping up, you sort of need both of those things at the same time in order for Minnesota United to have, I'm not going to say success, but I'm going to say the kind of season they have now. Like I think about imagine if, if you didn't have guys like those young guys who stepped up into spots where they needed to play when, you know, when there was a need for it and then done really well and been willing to do that, you have a team of veterans who are doing a good job but are older and, you know, need rest, or they, some of them have achieved, you know, like they're going on an international duty and things like that. It sort of messes that up. On the flip side, if you don't have those veteran guys, and even if you have good players coming out of the draft who are young and they're doing well, they're maybe not, ha- they maybe have too much on their shoulders or they don't have enough guidance for it. And I sort of like that, what Ian was sort of saying about that's sort of the whole shape of the team is this combination of having these veterans who are responsible and leaders and also still playing well but then also these young guys who are stepping into those roles when when they're needed and i thought that was I thought that was kind of a beautiful way of putting it
0: a lot of the pressure that will come in the way of the young players when they first turn professional is instantly taken off of them um, by the veteran players it's it's simple as that and they've been given the ability to go and play the way that they have done um, a lot of the reason is because of the veteran players. Um, but, yeah, look, also it's it's great when the team is playing with confidence as well. You as an individual tend to, to rise in confidence as well. And, um, you know, the amount of efforts that Asani Dalton has been able to put away this season, I don't think he would um, if he wasn't as confident as he is. Um, and I don't think he would have if he wouldn't have been given um the amount of, of time and space and and had the pressure taken away from the likes of Ozzy Alonso, you know? So it's uh, it's an interesting theory. Um and and whilst I, I will sort of agree, I, I still think a lot of this is is due to the, the veteran leadership that is, is in the locker room right yeah. now. Because if you look at the previous two years this wasn't the case. And and no doubt, Minnesota United drafted very, very well. Uh, Probably, in my opinion, won the draft if you look at how it's panned out. Sure. Um, And then accompanied by the emergence of of Mason Toy this season as well. Um, It's been a very good year for the young players, but I'm going to remain firm in my stance and and say, um, whilst I think they all have fledging careers ahead of them, I don't think this happens... If Minnesota didn't acquire the veterans that they did,
1: right? I absolutely agree. I think that the the now I think it, it's to sort of separate the the success of the team from the the character of the team in some ways that like there's there's these things are tightly linked, but the Venn diagram is not a complete overlap here. That I think that the most success is this combination we have right now. Second most success would be getting a bunch of good veterans, even if the draft didn't pan out you know i think the toughest situation would be if we had not gotten any of these these veterans who have who have become team leaders and we were just relying on those guys from the draft right but i think there's also just something about the the obviously the success of the team on the field is what drives people being interested in the team i mean i think that's base for any sport you know like it's very hard to get people engaged if the team is not doing well but i think that i talked to a lot of fans who, you know, they love Vito, they love Ike, they love those guys, but a lot of them really love Hassani and Chase and Mason and like have some of that feeling of like, these are our guys. Um, I think in a way that, I mean, this is not to disparage veterans coming here later in their careers. And I think they can feel a certain amount of, of attachment to those guys, but those guys have achieved things for other clubs that were, you know, you look at Ozzy going back home to Seattle and look at what that reception was there for him. You know, that's 10 years there. He's doing a terrific job for us here. The hope is that, you know, 10 years from now, Hasani Dotson. I don't want him to come back to Minnesota to celebrate the way that Ozzy had did, you know, there. But, you know, for that to be Hassani being that guy for the team. Yeah. I think that's the I think that's what a lot of people get attached to. So I like that I just feel like you're getting a sort of best of both worlds uh in some ways, regardless of this season itself, but as the team grows, uh over the years, I think, and that's why I kind of like that. Some.
0: Yeah, the, the, the younger players will certainly get better year after year after year. At least that's the hope and expectation anyway. And there's no reason why they can't and won't, particularly if they continue on this trajectory that they've started uh, yeah. their careers on. So um, I, I think I, I may very well have said this on a previous podcast, but if, if not, I'll, I'll say it now. I'm um, absolutely going to need the hot take button.
1: Oh. It's so hot right now. You got it.
0: um i have said this before and i'll say it again i legitimately think having watched him now this season and see him up close and personal um fairly often during the week at training and whatnot and, and knowing the type of individual that he is i think genuinely Hassani dotson could be that next young u.s player to make the transition over to somewhere like the bundesliga sure i'm not going to put him in the same category as an Alfonso Davies or a Tyler Adams just yet, but right. I think if he has another season or two um, and he's better than what he has been, it's been a great rookie season for him, in, in my mind, should be the MLS Rookie of the Year, but if he carries on on this trajectory, I see no reason why he can't be picked up by a fairly sizable club in Europe.
1: Yeah, and that'll be a good and sad day. Of course it will, of course it will, but it's... We've talked about it before. This is the shape of of U.S. soccer fandom. I mean, this is how we have to understand being involved with MLS. It's where this league is right now, Steve. And
0: that's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about Seattle the game a little bit. Um, Oh, I also wanted to say, you were mentioning the Sounders. I really liked, despite it being a football stadium, um, they've done as well as any team, I think, to give a feel of we are about soccer when soccer is being played there, which is really great. A very kind of secure no-nonsense feel to how they present themselves and just how they present the Sounders they're just sort of confidence and an understanding of like you know this team is 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 an equal uh inhabitant of this building to the Seahawks Yeah. uh which I really appreciate and just you know it's on it's obviously it's turf and things like that but um but the feel was great um and and I really enjoyed watching the game uh I thought that Again, it's it's a little – I feel like I'm so spoiled by Allianz Field and how close you are to everything. You're a little bit farther removed, but not as far back as, like, TCF in the press box. So mm-hmm. it feels a little – it feels reasonably intimate. And the supporters did a terrific job. So – um it's football stadiums though are very big I, It took me a really long time to walk around that whole
0: thing. <laughs> yeah it's it's it is a colossus isn't it you yeah. know it's unbelievable but yeah you won't find an argument from me steve i, I think the sounders are a first class organization it's clear and obvious that soccer is a big thing there um always oh, has been really uh but since the sounders have gone into mls it's only elevated the sport there and um you know, there were, what, uh, I think it was just over 50,000 there, wasn't it, um, yeah. on, on Sunday? And um, it's it's no real surprise. It's, um, it's a big deal in Seattle. And I think you, you and I, when we got the Uber to the stadium on the morning, I, I pointed out that there were as many Sounders sort of advertisements as mm-hmm. there were Seahawks yeah. um, commercials. And 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 that's, you know, only adding to your point. And um, it's great. It, it, it's a really great soccer market, fabulous city. Um, and uh, who knows,
1: maybe we go there again at some
0: stage in the, in the yeah. playoffs. Who knows? <laughs>
1: it could be on the docket. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the game itself. Um, I felt, well, let's get, what was, what was your feeling overall? It was a little, it, I found it a little difficult because so much of, uh, of, of, following that game was wrapped up in following other games at the same time, you know, it's sort of, the game was, it could never just sort of be like sweet generous. It could never just be its own thing. It was always connected to this other stuff. And so you find these, you find yourself feeling like, Oh, well we just need one goal, you know, mm. and not really thinking when you're just thinking if we can draw, then, then stay in that second seat. So it's like, it was a little, the calculus was a little more complicated. How did you feel about the game itself?
0: Well, the game was, was very entertaining. Um, I thought Ozzy Alonso was typically Ozzy Alonso and, um, you know, gave the sound as a, a stern reminder of what they're missing nowadays. Um, I thought he was fabulous and, and was very well deserving of the, the Bell Bank man of the match. And, um, you know, he, uh, he put himself about, he made some fabulous flying challenges as well, which were, were yeah. tremendous to watch, um, He's a fierce competitor, and I thought he was brilliant. Um, maybe had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder heading back to Seattle as well. So I thought he was fabulous. Um, the, the issue for Minnesota is is that they didn't really have a major outlet, um, and that's my concern going into the playoffs, and it has been for a while now. I think I've said that to you on a previous podcast. And um, you know, whilst I have I have faith when he's in form in the likes of Mason Toy, um, you know, I, I think uh, Angelo did his role well. Uh, and he um, brought everybody else into the play as much as he could, although I thought uh, Kim Keehee marks him very, very well. Um, you know, um, I, I just didn't think there was enough from an attacking point of view. I thought Darwin Quintero was poor on the afternoon. Uh, Ethan Finlay worked his backside off it and was unfortunate with the chance, and I think he'll want that one back, looking yeah. looking back yeah. at it. You know, he, he you would expect a player of his caliber to put that away. Um, but look, going to, to the goal, um, I, I didn't think it was great for Minnesota. I think they needed to to, to push out quicker. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Opara who was the closest to Jovan Jones. I, I think Ike will be disappointed when he looks back and um, perhaps should have charged down a little quicker and, and gotten tighter to Joven Jones great ball in from jones yeah. really yeah, really yeah, stupendous ike. delivery um but because ike uh, has been dragged out um and he's he's charging down uh, joven jones uh, it's almost like that there was um a body less in the back line and and if you go back and look at it, you know, Roma Metanier has two players either side of him. Really, if, if Ike is in position, I don't think Román Torres has that room at the far post, you know. Sure. Now, that's not solely on Ike because somebody else needs to identify that there's almost four against three in the back there. So yeah. somebody has to drop, whether it is Ozzy or Jan or Hassani or somebody like that. Somebody has to drop and help out. Um, and to leave a man as open as Roman Torres was is, is criminal in, in my uh, opinion. And, um, you know, as I said, the Sounders, um, I, I thought, gave a good account of themselves, um, but the the balling was was splendid, and, and Roman Torres, um, you know, did well to make the run, and, and you're not going to miss from that sort of angle.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I sort of felt, it felt a little bit like, it felt reminiscent of some other MNUFC losses this season. Um, I don't want to go so far as to say it's, I don't think it's really a pattern, but I think I think it's just a thing that it's actually a sign in some ways of of <laughs> I don't want to say it's a sign of like a good team, but it's a sign of a team that has a certain identity because I think that um, it it sort of felt like Minnesota United didn't quite get off on the right foot uh, to begin with, uh, came into the locker room and 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 got better, and then as the subs came in, sort of got their way into the game, but then just couldn't quite get over the hump. And I feel like we've seen that a couple times, like where there's you, and this is sort of, in, in some ways, this is inherent in the nature of soccer, right? Like, you show your cards at the beginning of the game. You're like, this is this is our formation. This is what we've got out there. Each team just throws it down. And you hope that you've made the right choice. Like, if you think about the, the 3-5-2 or 5-3-2 against LAFC, that was the right choice. You played the correct hand that game. This might have been one of those situations that was a little more like, you know the cup final against Atlanta United where you you this was again the the four three three, which I have to mention again. Um, you you say this is what we're gonna go with, and then it just doesn't seem to quite be doing what you need. Um, and some of that is on on individual players. I would agree agree about Darwin Quintero. I don't know how much of that is. Obviously, we've seen his form go up and down dramatically. It's been a very up and down season. He's also playing out on the left wing, and that's not really where he likes to sort of set up. he we obviously saw him he's given a free reign most of the time to move around the pitch. But again, his position is out on the left wing in that, in that formation. So, um, and then it went to a four four two, basically. Essentially, yeah. With, with Toy and Angelo up top, which was interesting. I don't feel like we haven't seen that. We haven't really seen that look so far this season.
0: No, we haven't really. We, we've seen a, a sort of close version of it, but not, not to this, um, not to this standard where the,
1: the two center forwards are essentially alongside each other. Yeah, um, which I was—I'm interested in. I mean, the idea we tend to talk a lot about Angelo and Mason as being oppositional forces and delivering different things. And you know, what do you want up top? Do you want that—that that sort of big guy who's going to hold up the play and let guys move in around him and distribute it, or do you want a guy who's fast who can make those runs in behind? you sort of get both of them when you have <laughs> those two up top.
0: You do, and when you don't have a number 10 on the field, it's probably the most sensible formation to play. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously taking Darwin meant that we didn't, so um, I-, I thought it was good, it, you know, another center forward on the field is obviously a sign of intent, and, and Minnesota needed to go and try and get something, so um, you also need an element of solidity in the center midfield, and I think that that was still there, uh, despite Gregush leaving the field, I thought Hassani and, and Ozzy Alonso did very well. Um, but uh look, I mean it, it was it was a decent performance, but, but the as I said, the, the main issue for me was that there was a, a lack um of of a major outlet. And and as I said, uh I I am assuming they're going to try and address that in the offseason. Yeah. Um they they need a center forwards that can not only hold the ball up but can also press as well. Uh, Minnesota haven't had that yet. If you look at the yeah. center forwards that Minnesota have had in MLS um, Ramirez didn't do that. Uh, Lardi, um, still is capable. Um, he's fast, um, and, and, and has decent upper body strength, but I, I, you know, he has his own issues at the moment and, um, I, I, I wish him all the best and hope it really, really works out for him. Um, I, cause I, I still think there's a player in there. Um, and then you've got, you know, Angelo and, and Mason who, who, who share the, the roles that I've just mentioned, but they're, but they're missing the other one. So, yeah. um, you know it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the off season. but if they can go and find somebody who can do um both of what i've, I've just mentioned it'll cost them money no doubt because yeah. clubs don't want to get rid of a player like that
1: yes and as adrian always says that's why they make get the most money exactly they, <laughs> exactly scoring goals is the toughest thing so yeah
0: but look having said that i, I think um you know moving forwards I, I i think um Mason is somebody who, when he toes the line and makes the right run, is is very very dangerous. Yeah. Um. And and I I am intrigued to see what what he does uh, in a couple of weeks against the LA Galaxy. Um. But uh, look, I mean, there's no doubt Minnesota have options and they have um, dangerous pieces up front. Um. But I think we all know now in the offseason they've got to go and get somebody who is supreme. Uh, in that position.
1: Yeah, what they what they really need right now, they're relying on one of those guys, you know, going forward into the playoffs. You need to hope that Darwin or Mason or Angelo primarily, um, obviously getting getting more scoring punch out of Ethan Finlay or Kevin Molina would be welcome. But one of those three guys has to hit what has been, as Adrian has called, a purple patch. And, uh, you know, and you don't know, it's two weeks, right? You've got a fairly decent layoff, guys go away for international duty, um, other guys are gonna regen, guys are gonna get some time in, there'll be some more training. It's just hard to know. It could, be, it could be that day on the day, you know, like Angelo has a day like he had, you know, when he scored a hat-trick in, in the uh, Open Cup, right? Is that the Open Cup? Um, is that A hat-trick in the Open Cup? No, was it a, no, was it an exhibition? was Pachuca I don't know what I'm talking about are we talking about, right? about Darwin
0: scoring a hat-trick
1: no Angelo had oh sorry I thought
0: you said Darwin. no sorry I said Angelo <laughs> uh, he
1: scored um hat-trick against uh, New Mexico against New Mexico no, so I was America. thinking okay. Darwin <laughs> a yeah no no, no 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 yes no Darwin had a hat-trick against Toronto that was a long time yes before. that was earlier <laughs> <laughs> but one of those guys you know like having that kind of game Mason having a game like that against LAFC or, or sort of his coming out game against Montreal like one of those you, you you're hoping for that but You can't exactly rely on it at this point. So No, no, you can't. So let's talk about playoffs. Let's move into talking about this. Playoffs. um, (laughs) Facing the LA Galaxy, let's talk a little bit about the Galaxy, uh, who lost, you know, two games going into the playoffs. Um, To my mind, they they must have one of the highest ceilings and lowest floors of any team that's still playing. Um, The Galaxy, when they're tremendously dangerous are incredibly dangerous when they're not playing well it's just swiss cheese back there and they're not getting anything so uh, i mean obviously season long that is an up and down trend it's very tough to find yourself doubting it's hard to doubt the galaxy's resolve in a playoff game we have not seen playoffs a lot on yet in the mls
0: no we haven't um that's a very good point i hadn't thought of that um We we have seen a big time Zlatan Ibrahimovic over the course of his career, and this will be the first real chance that we have to, to see it. Um, look, the Galaxy are, are greatly improved from from what they were um, in uh, in 2018. Uh, the, the the big player Steve is, is Christian Pavon. Yeah, um, he's <laughs> you know he's he's come from um, uh, literally I kid you not about this time last year I was maybe a little further back I was speaking to uh, an old an old friend, an old journalist friend uh, back at the BBC uh, who, who had told me that um, Christian Pavon was was going to sign for Arsenal um, and that uh, Unai Emery really, really liked him and he had an array of suitors across Europe. There were a couple of teams in Germany looking at him. I think Wolfsburg and um, I think it was uh, Borussia Gladbach and, and a couple of other teams that are very good teams uh, across Europe but were looking at him. And, you know, fast forward a year, and he's at LA Galaxy. And, and, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic came out and said, after a couple of weeks, he said, "He's, I'm not being disrespectful here, but he's too good for this league. <laughs> uh, and I thought to myself, what the... <laughs> Slightly disrespectful, but um.
1: <laughs> Zlatan is 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 definitely up at the top of the no disrespect, but and then and then just saying that doesn't mean you're not disrespecting it, buddy. So um,
0: Christian Pavon is um, an exceptional player, um, and he is the main problem for minnesota moving forward i know yeah. that's strange when you think of a side that has Zlatan ibrahimovic at their disposal but um pavan has been fantastic and uh, and tuna either uh, on the other side of, of Zlatan as well um they move the ball a lot quicker than the galaxy that we saw last season they move it a lot quicker to the galaxy that we saw um in the second game at allianz field as well they've become a lot more dynamic since we've last yeah. seen them so yeah. um no doubt it it's it's a huge, huge game. Obviously the biggest in club history. We can actually finally say that now and, and put it in bold capital letters, like it doesn't yeah. get any bigger than this right now. Yeah. Um but it, it's the, the galaxy are the galaxy for a reason. They they have established a worldwide reputation because of their success. And they haven't had success for, for some time now. Um there is pressure. There's a pressure playing for the LA Galaxy. Um, I would argue, unlike a, uh, not any other team in MLS, because I think it's changed now. But but for a long time, they were the team that were expectant, uh, and, and they were expected
1: to win all yeah. the time. They had that sort of Galacticos reputation.
0: They did so. the the era where it was Donovan Keane, and Beckham. Yeah. I mean, and the supporting cast weren't too bad either as well. Um, so. The Galaxy, um, I've said this before, uh, and I, it's probably not a good comparison now because of where Manchester United are, but I've always seen them as less, sort of like the Manchester United of of MLS sure. in terms yeah. of uh, global um, significance. People know who they are. And by no means am I uh, putting them alongside Manchester United, but I, I'm, my point is is that they, for a long time, have been seen as the biggest club and the super club in Major League Soccer. Yeah. Now, I think that that may very well have changed... Recently, with the, the birth of the likes of Atlanta United, um, New York City FC, I think LAFC have given them a run for their money as well. Yeah. Um, but there is still a real expectation from LA Galaxy who still sign superstar players. Yeah. Um, and, and you only have to look at the roster. I've already mentioned a couple of them already. So um, when you have those types of star players in your team, there is always that expectation. Um, and uh, this is going to be interesting, Steve, because it's almost going to be like, again, Minnesota against the world, because everybody, I know every MLS fan, will fancy LA Galaxy simply because of of, uh, many reasons. A couple of them I've just mentioned, the players that they have, but also I think everybody will want to see that LA derby in the next rounds, Uh, and I completely understand why they have said that, but what I've learned during my time here is that Minnesotans don't accept things like that that's that's not the way they like to do things mm-hmm. and um, a lot of Minnesotans almost operate with, with with a chip on their shoulder and I think a lot of Minnesotans now will will say right well this this is our time you know don't just immediately dismiss us yeah that's not going to go down very well in these parts yeah so I wonder if that'll that'll help from a, a motivational point of view and not that the players will need any motivating but I do wonder if that'll help as well I, I, and I hope that I hope that the club and, and this market as a whole is able to deliver that message mm-hmm. uh, in terms of this, this is our time now. Um, we, we, we can silence the doubters. Yeah, We can say shush. We, yes. can, we can move forwards. This is us. Um, if you don't like it, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really, really hope that Minnesota United do, um, do something in the playoffs and, and um, continue to, to build on what has already been a, a fabulous campaign for this
1: club. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see what happens with um, Zlatan uh, again. The question of playoffs, Zlatan, and this, you know, this idea of like the expectation and and him talking about, you know, the playoffs is what you're playing to get to. He does. This, he said he didn't really care whether they're, they're at home or on the road. This is where the stakes go up because um, we've seen before that you know if he got punched in the mouth, he would sort of sometimes shrink back a little bit. Um, he would. Fall back into the the midfield a little more and play a little more of the sort of distributor role, like he would just look for other players. Then he would make a run in, but it, you know, he would if you if you give him that shot in the mouth, like it, it would it would it would quiet him down a little bit on the pitch. I don't know if that works as well in the playoffs, like mm-hmm. when he when he wants this. And again, with Pavone, um, we Pavone was not with the team the last time that Minnesota United faced faced uh, LA Galaxy. So, and Pavone has looked terrific. I mean, I think. As you were saying it, I said this in my head. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's right, but it sounds good, and so I'm going to say it, which is that I think that uh, Zlatan is a problem. Pavone causes problems. Uh, I think that you know, like Zlatan, in moments, like if he wants to get in and get his head on it on a ball, it's going to go in. But he's n- he's not going to derange your backline with passing most of the time. This is what Pavone is there to do and to create chances like that. So. Um, I don't know what did you think that was it's like one of those things I said the sentence I was like ah, oh, it sounds good
0: well it sounded convincing yeah yeah um. <laughs> <laughs> um, well that <laughs> the other player who I think we should um, not dismiss either as well is is Jonathan DeSantos yeah who has been great this year hold up just just fabulous and and again, as we have said many, many a time on this podcast, the holding midfielders don't get anywhere near the attention they deserve. And and he's been great. I think Joe Corona coming in has actually been quite good as well. Uh, I didn't think he would be as, as effective, but he's he's also done very well. Uh, Legette is very effective with the uh, yeah uh, the late runs from the centre of midfield as well. Um, and look, I think I think the other. One as well is, is the, the new two central defenders. Polenta, I think, had a bit of a rough start <laughs> to yes. his life at MLS, but he got going in the yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, Gonzalez uh, coming back from from Italy, uh, the Costa Rican international um, has, has given them an element of solidity that they, they've they been lacking big time at centre-half for, for a while now. So um, they're a good team. The Galaxy are a really, really good team. And... Um, it, it ain't going to be easy. Make no question of that. It's going to be very, very difficult. But the one thing I would do if I was one of the coaching staff, I would pick up the phone and call our old friend Christian Ramirez and perhaps ask him, so how did you get the better of them? What did you do? I'd perhaps give Daviano a call at Houston Dynamo as well and say, so go on, tell us, what what were the things that you did? Um, and I'd be very interested to see what the likes of Daviano would say, actually.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, do do the research, right? I mean, you got to you got to look at what has worked against them, because uh, things have definitely, you know, they're not they're not unbeatable. We saw even LAFC is not unbeatable. So it's one game, all to play for, which is kind of the exciting part of the playoffs nowadays. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see this new format too. I mean, I just I I, I think that first of all being you know, with Minnesota United out of the playoffs, uh, I paid not that much attention to the playoffs once they got going, I think, uh, last year. we. The other thing is that people should appreciate is that as soon as the regular season ends, the real season begins for a lot of people who work for the club because immediately you turn around into preparing for the next season, and there's a lot of work to be done. So, uh, But they also had that weird layoff, right? That was the thing. They would play a, a round or two, and then you'd have a couple of weeks the off. International break. Yeah, yeah so this is going to be a lot. I feel like we're going to have this, this two-week window to sort of build in anticipation, and then it's just like boom, 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 and we're going to go right in, right through the playoffs. So uh, that'll be exciting. It's going to be
0: carnage. Yeah, I know. It's going to be carnage, and I really, really can't wait. It, it, it's going to be awesome. It really, really is. I, b- before we, we go, Steve, I'm assuming yes. that's where we're going, I just want to um, give a quick shout-out to uh, an individual who's leaving the club as well. Uh, Matt Bennett, or, or Benno as he's as he's better known, uh, left the club for, for Aston Villa. Um, he uh, left the club uh, straight from Seattle to, to head back to the U.K. Uh, he's been the player liaison for... Around about six months, he joined us from Hull City um, and very much enjoyed the Twin Cities. Um, became a, a good mate of mine, a uh, guy from uh, from the northern part of the country, uh, from Rotherham way. And, um, you know, uh, obviously has a tremendous opportunity ahead of him to go to the Premier League and, and go back home. So, uh, wishing all the best uh, to Matt Bennett and, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what Benno does.
1: Yeah, happy trails to Matt Bennett. Uh, enjoy that English weather. <laughs> <laughs> It's not freezing cold and snowing, which is what we're about to get There we go, yeah. Yeah, right. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. We'll probably have another podcast next week, I would imagine. Yeah, go on. Let's do another one. There'll be more stuff to talk about. But (laughs) thanks for joining us for the 77th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is its first ever playoff game on Sunday, October 20th at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes, or at the very least, a five-star rating. And follow the team on Twitter at mnufc and cal at CalWilliams.com and me at steventruss. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. I, still, I don't even remember what that joke is. No, we need but, uh, <laughs> but I'm just—I just wanted to have something. I'm going to keep saying every time. I have no idea what it is. All right. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are.